You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet Man, is on the phone. Episode Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Monday, November 14th. 2022 people i hope everybody's doing i hope everybody is having a great day i hope everybody is ready for uh you know what should be a fun loaded episode of a monday aaron Torres sports podcast a little bit later than i like to get it out but you know we got a lot to talk about here on a monday here is what we're going to discuss on today's show we're going to open disappointing saturday for the pac-12 three teams enter with legitimate playoff aspirations one team comes out with those legitimate playoff aspirations from there. We continue the conversation. Speaking of the Pac-12, I want to have an interesting conversation about the state of USC and the state of Oklahoma, where it feels as though uh, Brent Venables is completely getting a pass for the Oklahoma program going off the rails since Lincoln Riley left. We will continue the conversation with some other odds and ends from the college football weekend. Mark Stoops, for the first time, I think getting some real fire from the Kentucky fan base and deservedly so. Uh, my UConn Huskies, how about them Huskies? And finally, we wrap. I will replay a segment that I did. I was on the aircraft carrier Friday night, Michigan State, Gonzaga. So we'll throw to a pre-recorded segment live from the aircraft carrier. Really fun, uh, fun Friday night. Uh, and by the way, College Hoops is really ramping up. Obviously, on Tuesday is the Champions Classic. We'll do some re- reaction after that. And then it's go time with college hoops. It's go time with college football. It is a very fun time of year. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, you know, it isn't often in November. We've really had a reason to lead with the Pac-12. We all know the Pac-12 story by now. We all know that the college football playoff started in 2014. We all know that in all these years of the college football playoff, the Pac-12 has only been represented twice. Oregon in the first year, Washington in the third year, zero playoff entries since 2016. And this felt like it was finally going to be the year that the Pac-12 breaks through had four teams in the top 15 of the most recent playoff poll and three teams that I truly believe, and we broke it down last week, that had a legitimate shot to make a run to the college football playoff 
an eight and one Oregon, an eight and one UCLA, an eight and one USC, all entering the week. And the USC's credit, they took care of business on Friday night, setting up for what we thought was going to be really a banner day in the Pac-12, which more importantly was going to set up a great weekend this weekend where you had Utah, Oregon, you had USC, UCLA, de facto Pac-12 semifinals leading to a de facto Pac-12 to a real Pac-12 championship game, which would feel like a potential playoff play-in game. Unfortunately, the Pac-12 Pac-12 all over itself after USC took care of business on Friday night against Colorado. Oregon enters as a 14-point favorite of the Betfred Sportsbook, 13 and a half, 14 points. They end up losing at home to Washington. And then UCLA, well over a two-touchdown favorite at home. They lose to Arizona as well. And let's get into each game, break it down, because I do think it was interesting, fascinating, and disappointing on both fronts for so many different reasons. Starting with Oregon, listen, you know, we talked about this on Friday's show. We didn't do a ton of deep dive in terms of game previews on Friday's show. We talked a lot about Mark Stoops. We're going to get to him in a minute. But we really didn't do a ton of game previews on Friday's show. But one thing that we did discuss, I did say, I said, look, I do think Washington has the blueprint to make things interesting against Oregon. My official bet Fred pick was Washington plus the points, Washington plus 13 and a half, because Oregon, I believe this might be the most deep, balanced, well put together roster that I've ever seen from an Oregon football team, including the team that almost won a championship back in 2010. But at the same time, if they had one single weakness, it was the secondary. They were ranked 11th out of 12 Pac-12 teams in pass defense, Washington led the Pac-12 in pass offense. So I saw the scenario where it could be close, but I'm not going to sit here and lie. One thing I always do, I keep it 100 with the kids, okay? I think that's what the kids say, keep it 100, right? I keep it 100 with you. I keep it real. I keep it honest. I thought Oregon was winning this game. Instead, what we saw, I think, very early on was that a Washington wasn't going to be intimidated or imposed by the loud crowd at Outson Stadium because of the fact that they were able to move the ball uh, you know, the, the crowd wasn't as much of a factor as it was, say, two, three weeks ago against UCLA. And we get this crazy back and forth game that really turned into one of the games of the year. Unfortunately for Oregon, it really does come down to basically the final two possessions, right? Oregon with two possessions left midway through the fourth quarter has a lead. Then they give up a touchdown to tie it. And then in an unfortunate twist that could only happen to Oregon, we're going to talk about Oregon. I think Oregon has some of the most brutal losses of any team in college football that we don't talk about. Starting quarterback Bo Nix, and I know he's taken a lot of heat throughout his career, but he's been awesome at Oregon, gets hurt on the second-to-last drive of the game. Oregon goes four and out, three and out, whatever you want to say, three and out. What a dumb thing for me to say. Three and out, punt the ball. Washington gets it back. They then take the lead, and Oregon gets the ball back with you know a little over a minute to go, about a minute to go with a chance to win it. Really, essentially, if you're breaking down how Oregon lost, it comes down to the final few seconds, okay? They convert a fourth down. They are right on the fringes of field goal range. And I think this is probably what a lot of people, a lot of the conversation was with Oregon on Saturday night. But they're right on the fringes of field goal range with about six seconds left. Dan Lanning, their head coach, decides to make a very interesting decision that I'll be honest, I didn't hate it in real time. Essentially, they lined up, tried to run one more play, 
rather than kicking a field goal that was not out of their kicker's range, they said, hey, let's see if we can get a quick four, five, six, eight yards, whatever, get them a little bit closer and uh, get closer for a field goal that could potentially tie it. Just one problem. Bo Nix drops back. Bo Nix throws the ball. The pass is completed to their best wide receiver, Troy Franklin. Then we go to video replay and we find out that the wide receiver steps out of bounds. For people who do not know, that is a penalty. Oregon gets pushed back. And because Oregon gets pushed back, it sets up for, uh, you know, unfortunately, out of the field goal kicker's range for sure. Uh, they throw a pass. It looked like they were trying to run some sort of hook and ladder or something. It's incomplete. And Oregon loses. What I would say really quick on Oregon, listen, I, I, there's a lot of criticism of Dan Lanning. I didn't hate the final few seconds of the game. This has happened before. If you execute correctly, and they were really close to executing correctly, right? If this guy's foot was out of bounds by, you know, an inch, two inches, if it's two inches the other way and he stays in bounds, Dan Lanning looks like a genius if you kick the field goal to tie things and go to overtime. So I didn't really have a problem with that, but Oregon loses. We're going to talk about the fallout in a second. But right as that Oregon game is going final, you all know what happened after that. You flip over to Fox. Uh, actually, I guess the, the that game was on Fox, too. So both games on Fox. Great night of college football on Fox. And I'm not just saying that because I host Fox Sports Radio. But, you know, we got a, a, a great game at the Rose Bowl between Arizona and UCLA. Now, this isn't what I talked about on, on Friday's show. But this was the, another one. I'm not trying to sit here and call myself Nostra Torres. And this is what I do. And this is what I tell you. But the bottom line was, if you, if you looked at the matchup, you could see the scenario again where Arizona kept things interesting. Arizona, the second best pass offense in the Pac-12, only behind Washington. Uh, UCLA, another team that struggled to stop the pass. And you could see the scenario was close. Now, also, Arizona has struggled all year to stop the run, and UCLA ran the ball up and down the field on them. Either way, similar game to the credit of Arizona, Jaden Delora, their quarterback, big-time transfer from Washington State. He was the Pac-12 freshman of the year last year. He plays a game out of his mind, 23 of 29 passing, 315 yards, two touchdowns. There is no real game breakdown to be had. I did think UCLA actually kind of handled themselves even more poorly than Oregon late. They were in Essentially, they were in field goal range down six, and they obviously had four sets of downs, and they had plenty of time. They kept trying to throw for the end zone. I thought they should have gone short, but regardless, a Dorian Thompson-Robinson pass is actually completed. Unfortunately, again, the receiver falls out of bounds, can't stay in bounds, and UCLA loses. And so with the two losses, essentially, we know what's at stake, right? Both are eliminated from playoff contention. Both of these teams now uh, are playing for nothing more than bragging rights and a Pac-12 title and an opportunity to go to the Rose Bowl. If both win out, both will. But really, this was just devastating. Now USC is the only team in the Pac-12 with a chance to get to the college football playoff. In the big picture, I want to talk about a few things. One, just quickly on the individual teams, Oregon, you know, I'll just say this about Oregon. I think there's an argument because Oregon, it's up in the Pacific Northwest, they don't have a ton of history outside of maybe the last 20 years or so. I think you could argue that Oregon has taken more just brutal, crushing late season losses than anybody in college football. But because they're in the Pac-12, because they play on the West Coast, because we don't pay attention to them like an SEC school or a big time Big Ten school, Oregon has taken some crushing losses through the years. 2010, play for a national championship. We all remember how it went down. 
Michael Dyer, running back at Auburn, about to get tackled. Knee never touches the ground, gets up, runs, picks up a bunch of yardage. Auburn kicks a field goal, wins a national championship. I forgot about this. Credit to my writer, Garrett Carr at Aaron Torres Online. 2011, 2012, and 2013, all three years, Oregon entered November undefeated, or at the very least, late, late, late October, the final weekend of October, undefeated with a chance to play themselves into the then BCS championship. I remember 2012. That was the year Alabama played Notre Dame. I had an Alabama fan that used to read my website back in the day before I went to Fox Sports, and he he was a numbers guy. He was an analytics guy before it was cool to be an analytics guy. He said, Oregon is the second best team in the country behind Alabama. Alabama plays Notre Dame for a national championship. Oregon in 2011, 2012, 2013 ends up losing games in November to cost themselves undefeated seasons and a shot at a BCS national championship. 2014 is the first college football playoff. They make the title game and lose there. Then the program falls apart. Then how about this? Three of the last four years, the last three non-COVID years, 2019, 2021, 2022, November, Oregon enters with a chance to make the college football playoff. Essentially, the last three non-COVID seasons, Oregon entered November. And if they won out, they were probably going to the playoff. All three years, they take brutal losses. 2019, it was to Arizona State. That was the Justin Herbert team. Last year, 2021, they lose to Utah. And this year, and I thought this was the most complete team that they have had. They lose to UCL or they UCLA. They lose to Washington at home. I feel bad for this program. I mean, I do. Again, if this was an SEC school, if this was a big time Big Ten school, I mean, you talk about four straight years they would have played for a national championship from 2010 to 2013. If they had just won one out in the era where you basically had to be undefeated to play for a championship. And then the last three years, you enter November. I mean, it's one thing if you have a year here or a year there or this or that. But they had a five-year stretch where they were good enough to win a national championship, come up short. And then the last three years outside of the COVID year, they're good enough to make the playoff and come up short as well. I feel bad for that program. For UCLA, I'll say this, man. Listen, you never want to lose. You never want to lose as an 18-point favorite. I thought there was some like weird Chip Kelly backlash after that game. Like I saw some people like, oh, you know, if he can't, you know, win this game with a fifth-year senior quarterback, like, what are we even paying him for? And it, all I would say is this: first of all, UCLA. We're going to talk about Jim Moore in a second. You ran off a good coach last time. Jim Moore gets UConn to bowl eligibility in year one. If you think you can do better than Chip Kelly, getting you probably nine wins, potentially ten, depending on how these next few weeks break out. Then you go ahead and, and live your best life. By the way, if they win out, it, they are going to win the Pac-12. They are going to the Rose Bowl. But like this idea that Chip Kelly, somehow this was the wrong idea or he's underachieving, I think he's actually perfectly achieving. I mean, USC's been down. He's beaten USC last year. It took him a few years, but they won eight games last year. Would have been nine if they had gone to their bowl game. I actually thought they were playing well in the COVID season. Uh, they finished three and four in that one. They're about to be nine and three. They're about to be nine and three. And, and you UCLA fans are like, oh, you know, I don't know. This Chip Kelly guy, what are we even paying him for? It's like, listen, fire that guy. First of all, good luck paying whatever buyout he has. Then good luck finding a new head coach that's going to have you better prepared for the Big Ten in a few years than Chip Kelly. Finally, what I would say, bigger picture, listen, it's the Pac-12, right? I, I, in some way, listen, I do feel bad for the Pac-12. I've told you before, I live in Pac-12 country, okay? 
And this isn't me being biased because this is the part of the country I live in. The only thing I'm biased is about Jim Moore's UConn Huskies, okay? But at the same time, you know, this is a, a, a league that I think many years, because they haven't had that national championship caliber team, I don't think they get the credit they deserve, right? I've said it for years. The Pac-12, I think across the board, top to bottom, has been better than the ACC. But the ACC has had Clemson as that flagship program that basically has carried the league when everybody else is down. The Big 12 for many years, Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, many years, there really weren't that many good teams behind Oklahoma. Now, this year, the league is balanced and awesome, so it's not a criticism of the Big 12 this year, but that is the fact. And the Pac-12, I've always felt, is deeper than it gets credit for. To use a term from uh, you know our buddy John Rothstein, too much cannibalization in that league where there isn't that one or two great teams that are always competing at the top of the level. Still, to get the national respect, to get the national credibility that you need going forward without USC and UCLA, this just felt like the year. Three teams with legitimate playoff aspirations going into the middle of November. Can't ask for much more than that. I take it a step further, and I've said it before. If Utah gets a one play in the red zone against Florida, they beat Florida. You have four teams in probably the top 10 to 11 to 12 competing for a playoff spot in the final two weeks of the season. And people say, oh, you know, this needs to happen. That If Oregon had won out, if USC had won out, if UCLA had won out, I think they all probably make the college football playoff. Unfortunately, outside of USC, we'll never know. And the bottom line is with USC, they got the toughest road ahead by far. Play at UCLA this weekend, then an all of a sudden surging Notre Dame team to end the regular season. Then they would still have to go to the Pac-12 championship game where they would either play the winner, likely, of Oregon and Utah. Of course, Oregon, uh, they have not played. I think Oregon's better across the board. Utah has already beaten them earlier this year. And so I just bring it up because, man, oh, man, oh, man, this felt like the year. And the last thing I'll say on the Pac-12 I might have said it over the summer, but I remember having lunch with somebody in the league pretty, you know, kind of important. And I said to him, I said exactly what I just told you guys and girls. I said, I don't think this league is as bad as people give it credit for. I think there's a lot of good teams and a lot of good athletes and a lot of good coaches in this league. And you know what he said to me? He said, Aaron, you're probably right, but we have to win the big games that matter. And so for UCLA and Oregon to lose, it now comes down to USC running the table from here to get to the playoff. I don't feel good about it. And I think for what would that be? 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 for the sixth straight year. I think we're going to have no Pac-12 team in the college football playoff. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. I do want to do one of those unique AT segments that you're not going to hear anywhere else. I was watching USC, ironically, on Friday. And I thought to myself, like Lincoln Riley, I know we all thought he was going to be good. This guy is blowing past expectations. Oh, by the way, on Saturday, Oklahoma loses again to fall to five and five. And I am amazed that in a year where Lincoln Riley has USC at a nine and one, Brian Kelly just won the SEC West. Jim Moore has UConn bowl eligible. TCU is 10 and 0 and playing for a playoff berth. All first year head coaches. Why is Brent Venables getting a pass? We'll look at the USC Oklahoma paradox. That's next. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred app. Listen, by now, you know the deal, but I love working with these guys and girls. Started in 1967 in the UK, over 1,600 shops. They have come to the U.S. 
and made a major splash, okay? They are the presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, of the Denver Broncos, of the Colorado Rockies. I told you before, they also were the basically the bodyguard and the muscle behind Mattress Mac during the World Series run. And that's what I love about working with Bedfred, not just the big names and the organizations and the this and the that. I love that they take care of their betters better than anybody. Mattress Mac bets with them. They travel the World Series with him. Uh, we've sent listeners of the Aaron Torres pod to VIP tailgates at the Broncos game. Uh, first pitch of the Colorado Rockies games. The Cincinnati Bengals Betfred suite is bumping, baby. We're going to try to get some of you there later this season. Stay tuned on that. So that is what I love about Betfred. They take care of their customers. And here is the special offer that they have for you. Bet 50 on any game this season. Any game this week, no matter who you like, doesn't matter, college or pro. Bet 50 Get 250 in free bets, courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. You cannot get that anywhere else. Thank you to Betfred Sportsbook. They are our presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres Pod and much, much, much more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus all right everybody i'm back gonna be back gonna be back i uh, do want to switch gears and and hit on something that i i, I do think if this was a busier monday Aaron tours pot if there was other stuff, other big results outside of that Oregon and UCLA, uh, the two games late night on Saturday, like I don't know if we would get to this, but I do want to talk about two teams and two programs specifically, uh, and I want to have an honest conversation about them. And I, and I do think sometimes, you know, I listen to some other shows, different people, different con- like like one thing you could say about me, you can like me, you can dislike me, you can agree, you can disagree, but at the end of the day. I tell you how I feel. I have strong opinions, strong convictions, and I think it's time to have a big boy, real conversation about two teams and two programs, both of which are heading in one direction in a very fast way, one up and one down. The two teams uh, really played, you know, games that 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 really didn't necessarily ma- move the needle a ton this weekend. The first one was the USC Trojans. They played Friday night in the LA Coliseum against Colorado. 
I'll be blunt. Um, I'm not going to sit here and break the game down and pretend like there's a million takeaways. And on third down in the third quarter in the with 11 minutes left, this is what happened. It's like, no, no, that's that's not what we're about to do right now. I don't know that there's a ton to take away from USC Colorado, but I do think in the totality of the season for USC, I do think there is a pretty big picture takeaway. And that's that USC is awesome. They're nine and one. They enter this week as the only team in the Pac-12 with playoff hopes. Um, Lincoln Riley, I think, has exceeded expectations. I think we all thought maybe in a best case scenario, you go 10 and two, nine and three. Well, they're at nine and one. Don't know if they're going to win out. But even if they don't win out, even if they don't make the college football playoff, and I don't think they will, I think we got to give Lincoln Riley credit because I do think he has this program ahead of schedule and he came to USC to build the national championship contender. And I believe he is well on his way to doing that. Then, of course, there's another team that you probably didn't even know played on Saturday. That was the team that Lincoln Riley left, the Oklahoma Sooners. Oklahoma, they played in a noon Eastern game on FS1 that was buried during a busy time slot with a million different things going on. And if you missed the final score, if you didn't see what happened, here's what you need to know. Oklahoma entered as a really bad Big 12 team. They played a team that was, in theory, worse than them on the road in West Virginia, and they fell by a final score of 23 to 20. With it, Oklahoma is now five and five. They are now two and five in the Big 12. And they are looking up, or they, they, you know, they're, they're sitting at tied for ninth place. The only team below them is Iowa State. And so what I want to do now is start the conversation and have a big boy conversation. I need to call out one specific group of people. There is a group of people that around this time last year, remember, Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma for Oklahoma State after Bedlam. Bedlam is this weekend, so it was a little under a year ago, a little over a year ago, whatever it is, that Lincoln Riley left. And there was a group of people, some Oklahoma fans, I guess probably some people in the national media that were like, good, get rid of Lincoln Riley, let him leave. Oklahoma is going to be better without him. If you were one of those people, it's time for you to take the L. It's time for you to admit you're wrong. And if you are still one of those people that is still arguing that Lincoln Riley was the problem, it is definitely time for you to turn off this podcast and take a lap around the house. Because what I'm going to say is the truth. It's going to hurt. And the bottom line is if you are one of those Oklahoma fans that truly believes that Lincoln Riley was the problem, it is officially time to get over yourself. And really, this entire conversation to me, um, it does stem from, again, the conversations that happened around this time last year when Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma for USC. If you remember the second it happened, there was this narrative of, oh, Lincoln Riley's afraid of the SEC. One, that I cannot personally speak to. Okay, I can't tell you what Lincoln Riley's ideas were, why he left, why he didn't leave. I do think that was probably a factor. I've always said I think the more interesting factor was the transfer portal. Forget the SEC. Does he make a move that big if he can't overhaul a roster? But at the end of the day, there was a certain segment of people that said he's afraid of the SEC. I never believed it, but that argument I could at least buy. The argument that I could not buy at any point, however, was this idea that Lincoln Riley was somehow the problem at Oklahoma and that the only way to fix the problem was to get rid of Lincoln Riley. Because of it, I actually think that Brent Venables is getting an incredible pass this year. Nobody is being critical of him, and I simply don't get it. Because when I look at the program that Brent Venables inherited, okay, if your argument is Lincoln Riley is the problem and this thing has to be rebuilt from the ground up, okay, I disagree, but let's let's just talk this out like adults. 
Let's have an honest conversation about the Oklahoma program that Lincoln Riley left, that Brent Venables took over, that you said was such a disaster. Here is the truth. Here is the program that Brent Venables took over. Two of the previous three recruiting classes that Lincoln Riley had recruited to Norman were top finished top 10 in college football. Okay. So two top three, top two of the previous three recruiting classes were in the top 10 in the country. By far the best recruiting anyone was doing in the uh, Big 12 outside of Texas. Uh, the class that Lincoln Riley left in 2022, which to Brent Venable's credit, he mostly closed out, finished as a top 10 class in college football. Oh, by the way, this narrative that Lincoln Riley took everybody with him and Brent Venables had this bare bones roster. It's just not true. Yes, Lincoln Riley took Caleb Williams with him. Yes, Caleb Williams is awesome. But at the end of the day, you know who Lincoln Riley took to USC from Oklahoma outside of Caleb Williams? Uh, the fourth leading receiver, Mario Williams, a backup corner named Latrell McCutcheon, and that's basically it. Now, Oklahoma did lose some other guys to the portal and to other schools. Jaden Hazelwood to Arkansas, Spencer Rattler to South Carolina, Austin Stockner to South Carolina. But part of that's on Brent Venables and part of that's on the Oklahoma administration. Took him a while to replace Lincoln Riley. Those guys are already in the portal. Those guys are making decisions. That's kind of on Brent Venables to re-recruit them and convince them to come back. Instead, a couple players leave. Lincoln Riley gets the blame. And oh, here's the other part about the, the roster that Lincoln Riley or that Brent Venables inherited. Is the truth is, is that, oh, by the way, one, it was better than people give it credit for. Two, it was less pillaged than people want to give it credit for by Lincoln Riley and others. Here's the other part that I can't get over. The transfer portal works both ways. Like, it's not as though the transfer portal didn't, you know, Oklahoma didn't have access to the transfer portal like everybody else did. And so that, to me, is why I continue to be amazed why Brent Venables gets to pass. Listen, I get if you don't think he should win a national championship in year one, I'm with it. I get it. I get new coach, new culture, new this, new that. It takes time, all that good stuff. But what I can't get with is a couple of things. One, he was supposed to come in and fix the defense. The defense is actually statistically worse than it was last year. We've talked about it before, and I've gone over it before. They are currently ranked, as we record here on a Sunday into Monday, they are currently ranked uh, 109th nationally in total defense in ter terms of yards allowed and 94th in scoring defense in terms of points allowed. So don't tell me that this guy came in to fix the defense and it's somehow worse. But here's the other part, and here's why I have zero sympathy for Brent Venables and zero sympathy for any Oklahoma fan that is not willing to criticize him at all. Have you seen what all these other first-year head coaches are doing? And the bottom line is, in the portal era, it's just less of an excuse to be really bad right away. And it's less of an excuse to say, oh, we need three, four years to get our guys in and rebuild, and the culture was a mess. Well, culture was a mess at LSU, too. Brian Kelly hasn't played for an SEC title in two weeks. They clinched the SEC West on uh, Saturday. Uh, by the way, Sonny Dykes, in your own conference, first-year head coach, just is going to play for a Big 12 title. Don't know if he'll win it. Don't know if he'll make a playoff. But he's going to win 10 games in his first year at TCU. My alma mater, we're talking about Jim Moore in a minute. Four and 32 in the previous four, year, uh, previous four years before he took over. They're six and five. They beat Liberty. They're going to a bowl game. I think he should get national coach of the year votes. I don't know if I'd give it to him ahead of Josh Heupel. I don't know if I'd give it to him ahead of Brian Kelly. But he's in the short conversation. So don't tell me that it takes forever. And Coach Brent Venables just needs time. Brent Venables is the only coach in the country that needs time, apparently. By the way, you know who was a coach who inherited a much worse situation than Brent Venables? Lincoln freaking Riley at USC. Lincoln Riley. Think about how bad, like, like 
I still think that what Lincoln Riley's doing is kind of sort of being underrated on the national scale. I know it's the Pac-12. I know the competition isn't great, but I'll tell you this. The Pac-12 is better than the ACC this year. I can tell you that. The Pac-12, I would say from 1 to 12, top to bottom, is unquestionably better than the Big Ten this year. Now, I don't think anybody is as good as Ohio State or Michigan, but I think you get to 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, the Pac-12 is probably better. So Lincoln Riley walks into a conference. It's not tough. I'm not saying it's the SEC West, but I'm not saying it's the easiest thing in the world ever. And he's got them at 9-1 and overall. This A-team that finished 4-8 and last year, a team that lost by 29 to UCLA, by 18 to Oregon State at home, by 16 to Utah at home, all of a sudden now is 9-1 and and playing for a Pac-12, potentially, if they win next week, they'll obviously play for a Pac-12 title. They would play for potentially to go to the college football playoff, all that good stuff. Now, again, I'm not saying two things here. One thing, and I want to make clear, I'm not saying Oklahoma needs to fire Brent Venables. Now, I've made that case before. I think they should think about it because I don't think the defense should be this bad this quick. It's not going to happen, though, just like Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M is not going to happen. So I'm not saying they fire Brent Venables. And I'm not saying that Lincoln Riley has all the answers and USC is going to make a playoff and they're going to beat Georgia to win a title. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying, though, is this. If you're an Oklahoma fan that is still blaming Lincoln Riley, a couple couple things, even before that. two Really, if you take two things out of this segment, this is it. If you're an Oklahoma fan that truly believes that Brent Venables still needs time, okay, I disagree with you, but I get it. But the point of this segment is to say, Lincoln Riley is ahead of schedule at USC. They look better than they should at this point. And if you are still an Oklahoma fan that truly believes that Lincoln Riley was the problem, it's time to get over yourself. It's time to look in the mirror. And it's time to ask some questions about that coach that has you at 5-5. Five and five. This isn't September 11th anymore. September 14th, September 27th, whatever. It is November 14th. And you're fighting just to get to a bowl game. It's really bad, and it's time to stop blaming the coach that you used to have and start blaming the coach a little bit that is currently there. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break, come back, look at the rest of the week. Uh, what is it, 11? It's college football? I can't believe it's week 11. We'll talk my UConn Huskies. We'll talk. I want to talk Mark Stoops, man. I'm a little bit disappointed in him, the effort that we got, uh, and some other odds and ends from across college football. Take a quick break. Be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back Bracket Fanatics. Bracket Fanatics is the sponsor of our Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge. By now, you know the deal. We've worked with Bracket Fanatics for years with the NCAA tournament, but they have expanded to now include NFL football season-long brackets. And if you have not entered the Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge, here's the good news. It's not too late. Go to BracketFanatics.com, join Bracket bracket name Torres and you're automatically entered to win the great prizes that bracket fanatics is providing all year. These, those prizes, well, we're giving out hundred dollar weekly winners, thousand dollar season long cash prize last week's week, uh, nine winner would a week 10 winner, excuse me, was BC Castaldo. Congratulations to BC. He's already been contacted by uh, bracket fanatics. And if you have not entered, it's not too late. Enter pick games, all you got to do is make picks, pick those games, and when it happens, automatically enter to win $100 weekly cash prizes, and it's not too late to be entered to win the $1,000 season-long cash prize. Now, you're going to have to make up some ground, 
but it's not too late. You can start your own bracket with friends there, bracketfanatics.com. But to join our bracket, join bracket tab, bracket name Torres, tell them Torres sent you, bracketfanatics.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final football segment of the show. So good to be back. Do you want to go ahead, wrap with uh, just a couple odds and ends from college football. We will obviously end the show, as I said, some video, some audio from the aircraft carrier on Friday night. I was there for Gonzaga, Michigan State. We'll get to that to end the show. But I do want to kind of stick with the football theme, get to some couple other games, two, three games that really caught my eye over the course of the weekend. And I do want to start in the beautiful city, and it is beautiful, of Lexington, Kentucky. Well, it's beautiful unless you were a Kentucky fan about 3.30 on Saturday afternoon. As the Vanderbilt Commodores walk into Lexington on a 26-game SEC losing streak, and they walk out with a 24-21 win. And obviously, credit to Vanderbilt. We uh, I don't know that there's much to say for them. Happy for that team. Happy for that program. A lot of guys in that locker room have fought through a lot of adversity to get to this moment. So congrats to them. But as I often say, the more interesting story many times is in the losing locker room. And I think that's absolutely the case at the University of Kentucky right now. Now, before we get into this, I want to be completely fair uh, and share both sides. And, and, and I'll say what I always say about Mark Stoops. I think through the years, I, I've been not only praiseworthy of him, I think I've kind of been ahead on how great his job, the job that he has done at Kentucky is. Not an easy place to win, not an easy place to build something sustainable. Now, historically, there's been ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys. Maybe things break right one year and you win 10 games or you win nine games. He has done as good of a building job of anyone I've ever seen in college football to consistently seven, eight, nine, 10 wins. That is not easy to do at Kentucky. And he deserves the absolute credit for that. But we talked about this after the Tennessee game. And I do think we're getting to the point where he's built something, something sustainable, something really good. But I also think he himself is holding them back from going to the next level. We talked about it again after the Tennessee game. Too often, Kentucky in big games plays not to lose rather than to win. This is the most talented roster. This is the best roster he has ever had, best quarterback he has ever had. And so I thought it was a little bit inexcusable early in the year. I understand you're at Kentucky or you're at Tennessee, excuse me, number one offense in the country. But when you play Vanderbilt and you can only muster up 21 points, I'm sorry, we're allowed to ask tough questions about you your coordinators, and the program. And really, for Mark Stoops, what I would also say, 
this comes at the worst possible time, right? Because the, the context behind Saturday's loss, it's not just Kentucky losing to Vanderbilt. It's not just Vanderbilt snapping a 26-game losing streak. It comes after a, a six-month stretch where Mark Stoops has really been feeling himself. Again, I think mostly justifiably. But this was the guy in the summer that went back and forth publicly with John Calipari. You all remember John Calipari, Kentucky, were in the Bahamas for their basketball offseason tour. And John Calipari offhand says, look, we need a new basketball facility. We're a basketball school, whatever. Mark Stoops took exception to that. And that was frankly one where I saw both sides of it, right? I don't think John Calipari was maliciously trying to go after the Kentucky football program. I do think, though, like at the same time, one, I don't think he was wrong. But two, I understood Mark Stoops' side of it as well. I understood Mark Stoops basically saying, we've been fighting the basketball school conversation since the second we walked on campus having our head coach say that um it's not going to help us in recruiting because we've been we've had our backs against the wall in recruiting since the day i got here so i understood both sides but i'll also say this you come out you say we're a football school you say we deserve every single we deserve equal treatment from the basketball team that we are a football school well after a football coach at a football school takes a loss like that we ask some tough questions and i think it's fair to ask them of mark stoops you know, to, to quote Penny Hardaway, you want the smoke? You got the smoke, Mark Stoops, because at most basket, at most football schools, you lose that game. You're lucky if you keep your job to the next week. Now, I'm not saying we fire Mark Stoops. But to be clear, that is not what I'm saying at all. But at a football school, at Georgia, at Florida, at South, even South Carolina, you lose to Vanderbilt. We're going to be asking tough questions to you in a year seven, year eight, whatever it is. Oh, by the way, if you are a football school and not a basketball school, you think John Calipari, he took some heat for the that last loss that we saw him have. Well, we got to give you some heat, Mark Stoops, as well. And I think it comes, the loss comes not only on that, but I'll say this too. I think last week didn't help Mark Stoops either. We talked about it on Friday's show. Mark Stoops basically called out his administration last week and said, we need more support in NIL. You guys and girls aren't doing enough. Uh, fans, we need your help or we're going to fall behind. Well, Mark Stoops, you didn't really give him much to support. I'm not exactly excited to write a check for Kentucky football to get or keep or whatever one of their players when you're losing to Vanderbilt. And so, again, I see his point. I see what he was saying. But imagine me running Aaron Torres Media, the Aaron Torres pod, saying, hey, you listener, uh, John Smith in, in Cincinnati or Louisville or Knoxville or wherever you're listening, Los Angeles, I need a check so I can compete with Barstool and ESPN. And you write me a check. And then the next week, I lead the show with tennis, and it's the worst-rated show I ever do. You'd probably be pretty pissed that you invested, and that is what the, you know, this is the context behind what happened on Saturday against Vanderbilt. It's not just that you lost. You lost after an offseason where you called out your basketball coach or you went at least back and forth with the basketball coach, and you definitely called out your administration next week. And so it's okay to ask tough questions. You actually called out your administration last week, not next week. I can't see into the future. But point being is this was bad timing, this is a bad loss, and we are now allowed to ask tough questions. You wanted the smoke, you're going to get it, and I'm going to start with the offense because, as I said, this is the most talented offense that Kentucky has ever had under Mark Stoops, and they are, by definition, also the most underachieving. As we record here on Monday morning, because I got a late start because I was doing stuff on Sunday, 104th nationally in rushing, 115th in yards per carry, 83rd in passing yards. And that's with a quarterback that most people believe will be a first-round NFL pick. We can debate number one, number whatever. Most people think he's going to be a first-round pick. 
two really good freshman wide receivers, Dane Key and Barry and Browning, and a really good running back in Chris Rodriguez. That's the offense. That's what's going on. And that has to be better. And I know everybody in Kentucky, and, and I've, I've talked to Kentucky fans, like, like they want to blame the OC. I always say, I believe that the OC is a byproduct. He's trying to execute the game plan that the head coach wants, right? We all answer to somebody. The OC is just doing what the head coach wants. And so for me, I have a little sympathy for the OC, Rich Scagnarello, because this is not new at Kentucky. Okay. Like, like, you know, I, I was thinking about this. I think everybody tends to think that, oh, this is, it's all his fault and blame him. And the offense was so much better last year. Well, statistically, the offense was great. The problem was at Kentucky, uh, they put up a lot of points against a lot of bad teams. And then against the good teams, they struggle just like they do this year. Last year, 45 points versus Louisiana Monroe. Uh, 52 points versus Louisville, 56 points versus Vanderbilt, 42 points against a bad Tennessee defense. They also scored 17 against Mississippi State. They also scored 13 against Georgia. Okay, we get that one. But 20 against Dan Mullen's Florida team that Dan Mullen got fired a few weeks later. 16 points against South Carolina. So the offense was never as great as people made it out to be. And the offense is only being executed in the fashion in which the head coach wants. So I'm not going to go on and on. But I do think it's fair to ask Mar Stoops. You got to answer some tough questions here. I give the media credit. It appears as though people were asking some tough questions at the post-game press conference. Mark Stoops took some responsibility. But man, oh man, oh man, you can't lose to Vanderbilt the week after you called out your administration, begged fans for money. It's a bad, bad, bad look. All right, really quickly, some other ones. On a much more positive note, at least in my world, how about them UConn Huskies, baby? Listen. I get stuff right. I get stuff wrong. We do a segment every week called where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. But one thing I told you, I said, one, any idiot who's saying that UConn should drop to the FCS or drop football altogether is dumb and should be publicly scorned. And two, I believe that Jim Moore was the right man for the job. Well, on Saturday, they played Liberty, which was ranked in the top 25 of the AP poll. Liberty, coached by Hugh Freeze, friend of the Aaron Torres pod, walks into Wrenchler Field. As I told Hugh Freeze, the, the house that Torres built, I use that exact quote, and they walked out with a 36-33 win. Credit to UConn, which is now 6-5 and five and bowl eligible. The bowl eligible UConn Huskies after going 4-32 and 32 over the previous four years. First off, what I would say is this is, I'm not going to be hyperbolic. I understand that Jim Mora is not going to win national coach of the year over Josh Heupel, over maybe even Brian Kelly if he somehow wins the SEC West. He's doing as good of a coaching job, though, Jim Mora at UConn as anybody. As I said, 4-32 and 32 overall. And for people who don't follow the team, in week one, UConn lost its starting quarterback on the second possession of the season. ACL out for the year. They had a star running back, Nathan Carter, who rushed for a hundred plus yards uh, in each of the first two games of the season. He gets hurt in week four. He was the nation's second leading rusher at the time. Maybe their best wide receiver, Nigel Fitzpatrick, uh, Nigel Fitzgerald, excuse me, goes down early. So this has not been easy. And what has been so impressive is not only do you do it at a place where they haven't had any success, but the team has gotten better and the team has gotten more confident as the year has gone on. UConn has quietly won five of its last six games, and that comes off of a brutal stretch to start the year. Now, we didn't know it at the time, but here is who they open with for a th well, in a three-game stretch. 
They played Syracuse, who's all of a sudden better than we thought. At Michigan, who I think Michigan is either the second or third best team in the country behind Georgia and maybe Tennessee. And NC State, which was good and they were fully healthy. They had their quarterback, Devin Leary, at the time. So you play three legitimately good teams. And ever since then, they've been lights out. Five of six wins. They had the lead in the fourth quarter of the one loss. And they're going to a bowl game. And so I'm so happy for this team. I'm so happy for this program. And I'll tell you, it goes back to what I said when Jim Jim Mora was hired this time last year. I think he's the right fit. I think he's the right guy. And I think it's going to work, especially in the portal era. Listen, we talk about it all the time. We just talked about it with Brent Venables. At the end of the day, the portal works both ways, okay? And yes, you know, good teams lose, you know, are going to whatever. The point I'm trying to make is this. I, I don't even know where I was going with that. But the point I'm trying to make is that when I think about UConn, state school, big-time facilities, and they play a real schedule. Again, they played Syracuse at home this year. They played Boston College at home this year. They played Michigan and NC State on the road. They got two Power Fives coming to their place next year. They play at Tennessee. The point I'm trying to make, kids want to play, and kids want to play in big games. Well, you come here, you come to UConn, you come to a place where you can get on the field, where you can play, where you can play big-time competition. They might not get that four-star out of high school, and I'm not trying to do the recruiting ranking thing. But the point I'm trying to make is there's a lot of good players that aren't cut out for Texas, Texas Tech, Kentucky, Michigan State, all of these schools which have sent players to UConn in recent years. Give it time. UConn's bowl eligible. They're at worst going to finish 6-4. and four. Credit to Jim Harbaugh, uh, Jim Harbaugh, Jim Mora. Other than that, uh, really quickly, just some other odds and ends from college football. You know, Bama, I, I do give Bama a little bit of credit because their backs were against the wall. It would have been easy for them to not show up against Ole Miss. They get the win. And I know, like, like how much credit do we give them? Ole Miss was driving late with a chance to win. Uh, Bama still gets the victory. And so I want to give Bama credit. It would have been easy for them to, to show up, just not ready to go. We don't have anything to play for. Who cares? Well, in an I irony, they play spoiler, beating Ole Miss, knocking them out of the SEC title race. With it, LSU will go to the SEC championship game as the SEC West rep. You know how I feel about Brian Kelly. You know the victory laps I've been taking around the block on that guy since the season started. But happy for LSU, happy for Bama as they bounce back. I thought Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin was really good in the postgame press conference saying, look, look, I came here to beat these guys. There's no moral victories in college football. There's no moral victories in the SEC. That was the only other one I really jumps out to me. You know, uh, Florida State, I want to give a quick shout out to. I think they're actually a really good team. They've been bad forever since Jimbo Fisher left. And really, Jimbo Fisher's last year, they were bad too. But they're seven and three. They obviously beat LSU. They actually beat a good Louisville team that's all of a sudden six and four. They just won their third straight game. And they've really only played about one bad game all year. Lost to Wake Forest. But the other two games that they lost, they lost in the final seconds against NC State. They lost to Clemson in a game where they outgained them. So credit to Florida State. They're playing well. Um, and I think that's it. I think that's it. And so this is what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break. And when I come back, this is what we're going to do. This will be fun. So I was on the aircraft carrier for Michigan State and Gonzaga. And what I did was a live reaction. I posted the video on YouTube. And now what we're going to do is throw to the audio. So the audio is live from the cruise ship. I'm not a cruise ship, the aircraft carrier. I'm not recording with the rest of the podcast. And obviously when you hear me end, I'm just like, okay, I'm out. And then I stop it. But it was a fun game. It was an entertaining game. And I think it has some value too. For the Texas fans that are listening, you play Gonzaga this week. For the Kentucky fans listening, you play Michigan State and then Gonzaga this week. So we're going to talk about that game, talk about the aircraft carrier, take a quick break, be right back. 
right, everybody. I am, I don't want to say back because I'm actually recording on Friday night. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see a very interesting background for your boy Torres. But uh, Friday night, we had really our first marquee college basketball game of the entire season, Gonzaga versus Michigan State, right? All week long, we said, where are the big college basketball games? Why can't we play any big games? Where are they on the schedule? Well, one, we're going to get a bunch this week. We got the Champions Classic, Gonzaga, Texas, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, by the way, end of the week, Kentucky and Gonzaga. But on this Friday, we did get a marquee game, Gonzaga and Michigan State on an aircraft carrier in San Diego. I was actually at the game. I'm actually recording from the game. And so if you go on YouTube, you can actually see in the background the naval ship, the USS Abraham, uh, and I have a makeshift studio that I just set up here because I want to do some quick, immediate reaction to this game. Gonzaga wins literally, essentially, at the buzzer, 64 to 63. They basically trailed the entire game, but they rallied a win. Tough, tough, tough loss for Michigan State. And really, when I think about this game, what I would just say, it, it's pretty straightforward. And by the way, you probably hear all sorts of stuff in the background. I got somebody dribbling, somebody passing, shooting, whatever. Um, but with that said, when I think about this game and when I look back on this game, this is what I would say. I have a lot of reaction. I have a lot of thoughts. I don't know if there are necessarily a lot of takeaways, though, and let me explain why. The game, as I said, if you missed it, was played on an aircraft carrier. Listen, it was awesome. It was an awesome setup. They did this about 10 years ago, Michigan State and North Carolina. Obviously, I, well, I don't know if it's obvious, but I was not there for that one. This one was incredible, though. Beautiful scenery. If you missed anything, by the way, I posted a bunch of pictures on the Instagram page, Aaron Torres Pod. But at the end of the day, uh, beautiful scenery, beautiful setup, uh, aircraft carrier in the San Diego Harbor. But here's the bottom line, and here's why I don't want to overreact in any which direction to what we saw on Friday. It's because uh, the game was outside, the game was on an aircraft carrier, and the conditions were not ideal to play basketball. There's a reason we play basketball indoors, people, uh, and we learned it on Friday night. Uh, essentially, if you didn't see the game, the game was basically, I, I you know, I would guess it, by the time probably about 10 minutes into the game, the tip off, uh, you know, the temperature was probably in the 30, uh, probably like low fifties, high forties. And you could see it on the court. You could see guys, the second they went to the bench, I noticed Gonzaga's players were throwing towels over their legs, to just kind of protect themselves from the cold. Um, you know, you see players kind of constantly grabbing their hands, rubbing their hands. Uh, it was funny. I asked Rasir Bolden from uh, uh, Gonzaga after the game, I said, could you feel, you know, like when you shoot the ball, could you feel, um, the wind and the breeze and being outside. He said, absolutely. He said, you know, you, you, you see it and you adjust after two or three, but that's really why I don't want to super overreact to either of these teams after this game, simply because of the fact that they were playing in conditions that they will never play in ever again this season. And frankly, probably never again in their careers. Right. Uh, and it showed on the court, seven of 34, the two teams combined from three, they missed a combined 18 foul shots. And so because of it, like that, that the, what we saw, we're never going to see again from either of those teams. And so, again, don't want to overreact, but I do think there are a few takeaways. One from Michigan State's perspective, I'll be honest, like I actually thought early in the game, I thought they did an incredible job of actually, quote unquote, handling the elements. I tweeted it. I was joking, but I was kind of serious. And what I said was. Michigan State is handling, you know, we talk about football all the time, handling the elements, right? R wind, rain, cold, hot, whatever. And I said, I joked, I said, in basketball, Michigan State is handling the elements. Early on in the game, it was very clear to me that Michigan State, that Gonzaga 
It didn't look like they wanted to be there. It didn't look like they wanted anything to do with the cold weather. It didn't look like they wanted anything to do with the wind. And Michigan State was out there like, man, we got this. Yeah, it's cold, and we're loving every freaking second of it, right? They say in sports all the time that you take after your coach, that you take after, um, you know, that you embody your coach. Well, I think Michigan State did that on on Friday night because early on they were just a tougher team. They wanted it more. They were getting to loose balls, and they really were in complete control of this game for probably about the first 30 or so minutes. Now, why did they lose control of the game? Well, it's a couple of things, and I think it's interesting, and this is kind of a takeaway that I believe is not an overreaction, is it's interesting with Michigan State. We saw what their Achilles heel is this year and frankly we saw why they're not a top 25 team guards are really good uh tyson walker played well aj hogard played well uh trey holloman off the bench i really enjoyed how he looked but i bring it up because you know all off season long we kind of looked at michigan state and said they actually don't have a lot of size down low and that doesn't sound like a michigan state team that doesn't sound like a big 10 team but that was the achilles heel of michigan state all season long and it really came to fruition Friday night in San Diego. Uh, Maddie Sasiko uh, is is really Maddie Matt Maddie Sasiko. I'm sorry, I'm tripping over his name here. Really, their best big guy, uh, you know, didn't even really play much last year. Was phenomenal in the first half, but really, when Gonzaga made their run, was when he picked up his fourth foul. Then later on, their other big guy, who's kind of a combo for Joey Hauser, he fouls out. They bring Sissoko back in. It's Matty Sissoko. That was how I tripped over his name. They bring Sissoko back in. He fouls out. And essentially, that was the issue we thought all season long or all offseason long with Michigan State. You know, to be blunt, I don't tell anybody. uh, I certainly don't tell a Hall of Famer how to run his program. But that was the conversation around Michigan State all offseason. Are they going to add a big guy? Should they add a big guy? Why didn't they add a big guy? It comes back to bite them on opening night. And I'll take it a step further. You go to the Big Ten. That's going to be a problem when you face Michigan with Hunter Dickinson. Uh, you face uh, uh, Ohio State with Zeb Key. You face, uh, I'm trying to think, Indiana with Trace Jackson Davis. Say what you want about Indi- uh, about uh, about the um, about the Big Ten. You know they got big guys. You know that they got guys down low that can handle their business. And I think this is something that's going to be a problem for Michigan State all along. And as I said, I think we see now why they're probably a fringe top 25 team. I think they'll get some wins. Like I said, I like the guard. From the Gonzaga perspective, it's hard for me to have any definitive takeaways other than Drew Timmy's freaking awesome, okay? Like I just said, Michigan State was in foul trouble. Part of that was Timmy, but also part of it was when all those guys got in foul trouble. Timmy was just attacking second-chance points, doing the things that he does. And I know that certain fan bases don't like him, and he's got the mustache, and he's got this, and he's got that. That dude delivered 22 points on Friday night, and really, like, the 22 points, they all mattered. Like, I mean, obviously, you win by one, every single point matters. But the 22 points, I just thought, you know, they were in the flow, in the moment, like, the ability – You know, like I said, the ability, second chance points, loose balls. He just made so many big plays late. Now, in terms of Gonzaga's backcourt, I'll just say this. It's really hard for me to make any definitive declarative statements about them. Um, As I said, Gonzaga team that traditionally shoots around 40% from three, four of 18 from three, 22%. I don't think that will happen again at any point going forward this season. And so because of it, again, not going to make a big deal about Gonzaga. I thought they rallied. I thought they showed heart. Like I said, I felt like it took them a while 
to get into the flow of the game, to just basically accept, hey, wait a second now, it's cold. We got to deal with this. I was funny. Mark, you kind of said that in, in the post game. He basically said, like, look, bottom line, I told our guys, it's not that we're not playing a good team. It's just that at the end of the day, we're beating ourselves. We're making mistakes. We have to lock in. Gonzaga does that, and they get the win. And like I said, I thought the guards played well late. Uh, and I think, frankly, that is the worst that the guards will play. Good news for both teams. We're going to learn a lot about them soon, thanks to the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, Gonzaga will hope will play. How about this? Gonzaga will play at Texas next week. Then they fly home, play Kentucky at home before the PK 85. Meanwhile, Michigan state. How about this? They play Kentucky on Tuesday in the champions classic. And Oh, by the way, they will also play Villanova late next week. As I record here, Villanova has just lost the temple. I don't know much about that game, but that said, I think it's time for me to get out of here. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, non-traditional end to the show, but it was a fun show. I hope you enjoyed the live reaction from the cruise ship or from the uh, aircraft carrier, excuse me. If you're not subscribed to the YouTube page, please make sure to do so. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.